Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome. So glad you're here. Man, it's an honor to celebrate Easter with all of you this morning and with the first service as well. It's just been a great day, and I'm so glad that you chose to be here. And if you're here for the first time, welcome. So glad you came. Anyone is welcome here, and we just want you to come and continue to come. So feel like you can come back next week and just maybe find this to be a place where God can be a part of your life and that you can put down some deep roots and grow in your faith. And I'll tell you this, nobody here is perfect. Uh, if you're looking for that, we're not it, but we do accept each other while we're changing and God helps us grow. So uh, I just hope that you maybe keep coming and find out what God has in store for you. And as I think about Easter Sunday, all of us gathered here, we're all different, but at the same time, I think there's some things that we have in common, one of which is you and I all have hopes, dreams, and aspirations for our future. There's things that you want to do, and I do too. Maybe yours are different than mine and vice versa, but there's things that we would like to see accomplished or to experience in life. I know for some of you, maybe it's uh, something you'd like to get. Maybe you want to get your driver's license. We got somebody in our house like that. Maybe you, you, maybe you want to get a house of your own, get out of your parents' house. Maybe you want to get hired for a job, or you want to get rid of some stuff out of your house. It's just getting too messy. Or maybe you want to get out of debt, or maybe you want to get rid of a bad habit, or maybe you want to get pregnant and add to your family. Uh, maybe it's something for you. Your hope is something that you want to become. Maybe you want to become fluent in another language. You know, do you want to become a uh, homeowner? Anybody want to become independently wealthy? There's things we want, right? Maybe you want to become a better person. Maybe for you, it's somewhere you want to go. Like maybe for you, like me, you want to go visit all 50 states. Or you want to go visit all 56 Missouri State Parks or all 58 National Parks. Or my wife and I, were trying to go to all the coffee shops in St. Louis, and we're, we're most of the way there. There's some good shops here in St. Louis. Maybe you want to go to a Blues playoff game. I understand that's. I don't know much about hockey, but is that going on still? Okay, okay, okay. No judgment here, right? We accept each other. Maybe you want to go to a foreign country or you want to, you know, go on vacation somewhere. You want to go crazy, whatever. I don't know, maybe for you, what you, you hope for your future, it's something that you want. There's something deep inside. Like you, maybe you say, this year I want to read the whole Bible. I want to grow in my faith, and so here I am. I want to be a better person. I want to be baptized. Uh, maybe for you, it's, you'd say, I want to change careers. I want to do something different. Or I want to quit worrying so much. Or I want to get healthy. Any of those describing anybody here? That just give you my whole list, right? Here's the thing that I know about us all. We all have these hopes, dreams, and aspirations. But the other thing I know about all of us is that we all know what it's like to have our high hopes run into the hard wall of reality. Like the time my family took our first trip ever to Colorado. And so as we were doing that, one of the things I would have hoped for and assumed is that there would be more gas stations along Interstate 70 through Kansas. That's the longest two years of my life. Somebody should warn you about that. So here, the voice of experience, if you've never been through Kansas to Colorado, um, there aren't a lot of gas stations. Voice of experience, man. I'm telling you, there is no torture quite so as exquisite as simultaneously needing a gas station needing a gas station bathroom, and then it's raining. That's just the hat trick right there. It was an awful trip for that part of it anyway. So, um, you know, there's, this, uh, there's what we thought we wanted and what we thought we would experience, and there's reality. I'm pretty sure when the Baltimore Orioles signed Chris Davis to a $161 million contract that he would hit better than he has, the dude set a new record. Some of you in baseball, you know this. He went from last September till this April without a single hit. Zero, zero, zero. Not a single hit. Like every time he got up to bat at a certain point when he hit like the 40s, he was setting a new record for not getting a hit all the way up to like, I think it was 50 before the poor guy finally got a hit. 
I feel bad for the guy. I don't even care about the Baltimore Orioles, but I just felt like you're on national TV being paid all this money and, you know, everybody gets to experience your shame with you. That was great. You know, there's things like we've all been disappointed in life, right? That's something we all have in common. We all have those regrets, the shoulda, coulda, woulda, might have been, and those things that we know, maybe I should have done this and I didn't. If you're online, maybe you can relate to some of this. Do you ever think that when you got to this stage in your life, it would be better than it is? Did you, do you remember this, or maybe this is your reality right now? You remember thinking, oh, when I get to middle school, it's going to be so awesome. It's not. <laughs> Sorry, it's not. You know, right? And then you go, well, at least when I get to high school, it'll get better. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. Oh, college. Or when, when I get in my 30s, I'll finally have some money and some freedom. Yeah. Maybe for you, it's like, yeah, I get to my 30s. I just want to get some sleep. That's uh, and then you think, well, in my 50s, my 60s, I'll have all this discretionary income, and I'll get to retire early. Just, there's all these things that we think, well, here's what I expected, and here's what I got, right? Maybe for you, the thing that you run into that disappoints you, you know, your hopes versus your realities, it really has more to do not with what you've done or not done. It's just what happened to you. You didn't have any say in the matter, and you just experienced some very troubling things, and it just makes you deeply disappointed in life. And it's not how at all you imagine it would turn out. Kind of like this Easter shirt. I don't know if anybody wants to get one of these. I feel hollow inside. What? <laughs> That's great. I don't know if you feel like this. Maybe you would resonate with something I heard Pastor Gene Apple describe several years ago. He calls it the Saturday experiences of life. And here's where he got that. We're, we're in Easter weekend, right? And we tend to think of Easter as Sunday, but he, as he describes it, says Easter is not really a one-day story. It's not even a two-day story. The Easter story is a three-day story because you have Good Friday, the day that was good for us or good for anybody who follows Jesus, really bad for Jesus. But we talk a lot about Friday and what happened to him when he was crucified. We, of course, talk a lot about Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead and that he offers this new life to everyone. The day that doesn't get talked about a lot, though, is the Saturday, because we have death, burial, resurrection, and we have, you know, trouble, silence, and deliverance, and we don't think a lot about what people were going through on Saturday, and I'd like to focus on that today, just for a little bit, because I think that's a place where we all can relate, that Saturday experience of life, and in particular, I want to look at just one person on that real day 2,000 years ago, that Saturday and, and I want to look at Peter. He, we know him now as the Apostle Peter. You probably, if you're at all familiar with the Bible, heard of him. He's the guy who preached a sermon that started the whole church. 2,000 years later, here we are. Preached that sermon, and 3,000 people were baptized in water, and here we are. But that was still, if we're talking about this weekend, that was a month and a half later. On Saturday, Peter was behind a locked door, scared to death that somebody was going to come and arrest him and do the same thing to him that they did to Jesus on Friday. On Saturday, he feels like the worst person alive, ashamed of himself, and convinced that his life would never be the same again. And it all ties back to two days before that. So if we're here Saturday, you go back to Thursday night, Jesus was still alive. He was in an upper room in Jerusalem that they had rented, Jesus and the other disciples. They were eating a meal, the Passover feast together. And Jesus, during the meal, looked at Peter and he just said, Buddy, you need to start praying because Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You're going to be tempted and you're going to give in. And Peter's like, I don't think so. Which, 
you kind of got to figure out what kind of a person he is. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're so confident that you can look at Jesus, the son of God who knows everything, and just tell him, I don't think you know what you're talking about. But he did. And he said, no. And Jesus said, no, you will. By the time this morning, next morning comes around and the roosters crowed twice, you will have denied me three times. And Peter said, I'm just paraphrasing here. Peter said, you know, when I look around this room, I see a lot of guys who could do that. Not this guy. How arrogant that he spoke before he thought a lot. And if you're at all familiar with the Bible, you know that what Jesus said happened. By the end of Thursday night into Friday morning, the rooster crowed the second time. Peter had just got done denying that he ever knew Jesus with curses for the third time. And the irony of it all is that Peter was near enough to where Jesus was going through his trial that as that rooster crowed, Jesus actually turned and made eye contact with Peter, and Peter realized what he had done. Can you imagine the feeling of shame that would go through your gut? What kind of a man denies his best friend at his deepest hour of need and takes off? Jesus was executed in this cruel way, and Peter wasn't there. Saturday, he's hiding in a room. Now, that's why I want you to think about this Saturday experience of life, because I don't know who first said this, but this really resonates with me. That Saturday was literally the only day in all of human history that every single person on the planet knew that Jesus was dead. Just think about that. There was never another day in human history that every single person on the planet thought Jesus was dead. And that's the reality he lived with. And he thought, I'm sure, and I'm going to ask him someday, but I'm sure Peter thought, there's no way I'm ever coming back from this. Yeah, a month and a half later, he's a man changed, and he's restored and transformed, and he's preaching this powerful sermon, and he's not afraid at all. What happened? That's what I want us to look at. Because if you feel like there's no hope for my future, Peter would beg to differ. And he can tell us about how that happened. He experienced something on Sunday morning, and the high of Sunday was so high because of how low the despair was the day before for him. Something completely transformed. He saw a man alive again that he never thought he would ever see again. And not only did he see Jesus alive again, Jesus restored him and forgave him and put him back at a place of authority and leadership. And Jesus said, look, you may not have any hope for your future, but I have hope for your future. And I think it's probably what led Peter to write something that's in your Bible. And he wrote it years later. I want you to find it. And if you've got a Bible, you can find it right now. It's called First Peter in your Bible. If you have a smartphone app, you can pull that up. If you've got a worship folder, you can just take notes and follow along on the screen. So First and Second Peter are two letters that Peter did write as an older man, as a man who's been an apostle and a leader for Jesus for years, an elder and a respected leader. And he's writing this, we think, to people who are new Christians or they're getting ready to become Christians. And at the same time, they're going through a lot of problems because they trust Jesus. A lot of people didn't like that. You maybe saw the news. There's a church in Sri Lanka, that, several churches that were, were bombed. And uh, people just don't always appreciate those who follow Jesus. And they were going through that same thing. And Peter said, I want to tell you about something that happened in my life that gave me a hope, and I need to remind you as you start to follow Jesus that you can have that same hope. Let me just read a couple of verses here. Verses 3 and 4, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and it's into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you, who by faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And I'm going to go ahead and stop there because there are a lot of words in there 
Man, Peter really knew how to preach, and he's kind of preaching here. And I want you to understand, this is not just something for people back then. That's for us right now, Easter 2019. You can walk out of here with a completely transformed attitude if you'll lean into what he's saying. Because Peter's saying, look, back several years ago, when Jesus raised from the dead, it completely changed me. And I, I had a hope that I never thought I would have. Kind of like a, a guy who was uh, late getting to his son's Little League baseball game. And he got there, and his son was sitting in the dugout alone, and his son's team was out in the field, so the dad yelled out, Ethan, I'm here, buddy. How's the game going? Ethan goes, hey, Dad. Oh, it's 18 nothing. We're losing. So, oh, buddy, don't get discouraged. It's going to be okay. Why would I get discouraged, Dad? We haven't even been up to bat yet. <laughs> That's some hope there. And Peter says, you can have that. And I want to go through some key words here. If you've got the worship folder, I put some of those words down there. And I want you to maybe jot some things down if you find it helpful. First of all, he says, praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to blow past that like, okay, that's just a pretty word. Let's get on to the meaningful things. Praise in and of itself is something powerful because we're supposed to do it. When he says praise, it's not just a suggestion. It's a command. Let's praise God. So what is praise? I think of it as enthusiastic applause. You ever been at the Blues game or you ever been at the Cardinals game and there's just a play that's just like so extraordinary, you just, you don't even think about it. You stand up and 50,000 other people stand up and you're just like, yeah, that's great. That's praise. It's just something that is admirable or excellent and you just, you're at a concert and the singer hits that note that gives you the goosebumps or the guitarist does that solo or whatever it is and you're just like with everybody, you're all just like, yes, this is so great. That's praise. And Peter says, when I think of what God does in the world, I get goosebumps. I have to just go, God, you are so awesome. And I think God really appreciates that when we do that. That when everything in us responds to him to say, look, when I look at you, God, I see that you are excellent and admirable, and what you do is just so amazing, I have to just to praise you. That's why we gather on Sundays and do this. We're here together, but we're also honoring God. And uh, you know, I just think maybe God wants us to be like little kids, because little kids have the purest praise, don't they? And maybe you've got kids or grandkids or a niece or a nephew. Don't they say the coolest things to you? I remember when my girls were younger, and they'd say, like, Daddy, you're so strong. You started the lawnmower. Ooh, go, Dad. <laughs> Mommy, you're so pretty. You're the beautifulest woman in the world. And you're like, this, this kid is great. That's just honest, too. They're pure and honest, and that's what God wants from us. And, and I, he wants us to, and Peter's saying, look, when you think about what God's done, shouldn't you be doing a little bit of this? And... Uh, and then he says, well, why, why would we want to do that? Well, praise, first of all, for the great mercy. Again, don't blow past that word, like, oh, I know what mercy is. No, really think about what mercy is. What is it? Is it not you deserve this, but you get this? And, like, you deserve a spanking, but instead you get Easter candy. Your behavior deserves some really bad things to happen and some consequences, but I'm not going to show you mercy. I am not going to treat you like your sins deserve. That's what God says. In his great mercy, he looks at humanity and says, you guys are awful, but I'm going to treat you with love because I love you, and I want you to, to be better than this. Think about Peter. There's a guy who was shown some mercy, am I right? Like, you denied Christ three times, you hid, you didn't believe him when he said he would rise from the dead, but God didn't treat him like he deserved. Peter didn't say, or Jesus didn't say to Peter, I am, you know what, buddy, I just can't be friends with somebody like you. No, he showed him great mercy. And I want you to know this. I don't care what's in your past. I mean, I care, but I, it doesn't matter what's in your past. God can show you mercy, too. That's another thing worth 
celebrating and praising. And it just keeps going on. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us what? I don't know if you've got that verse open or not. It says in my Bible, he's given us a new birth. And again, don't blow past that. Like, okay, this is just more poetic language. No, this is a real thing. New birth. You ever, um, you want to just like a do-over? Some of you play golf. You ever want a mulligan? You want a fresh start? You ever wish that you could just rewind like 30 seconds before you started the conversation that made the other person have that look on their face and go, ooh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Or you ever want to go back to the beginning of your life and just go, can I just have a whole do-over? Could I do my whole life again with everything that I know now? Because I could do a whole lot better job of it. You ever feel like that? That's exactly what Peter's talking about that God offers us. It's a new birth. Jesus called it to be born again. Now, you literally can't go back and be born again a second time like to a physical body, but this is actually better. From the moment you trust Jesus, it's a hit, a reset, and you start over, and it's a completely new life, and you look the same, but from this moment forward when you've accepted Christ, it's all different, and your future literally changed forever. Maybe you're going one way, and now you're going another. That's what new birth is all about. And you might feel like, well, you know what, Brian, I appreciate what you're saying, but I am the asterisk that proves, you know, I'm the exception that proves the rule. I'm the one that God's going to look at and go, yeah, I didn't mean you. No, new birth is available to anyone who will accept it. A fresh start with Jesus, he's willing to give you that. And then he says this, it's a new birth into a living hope. This is a point where the English language fails us. Peter didn't write in English, he wrote in Greek. And what he meant by hope is not at all what we mean when we say hope. Like we say, I hope that the cards win, I hope the blues win, I hope that lunch is going to be good. We're not sure, but we're just, it's wishful, right? That's not at all what Peter's saying. He's talking about something that's incredibly certain. Let me give you an analogy. Uh, Think of somebody that you really care about. Maybe you think about your mom, somebody who's a really good cook and who cares about you. And that person calls you on the phone and says, get over here and stop by the store and get some milk because I made your favorite dessert. Now, I'm going to let you fill in in your mind what that would be, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you the right answer, which is chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. That's what you should be thinking. So when you get that phone call and you're driving to the house, do you have the cake yet? You can answer. It's not a trick question. You don't have the cake yet, right? Right. So you don't have it until you actually get there. What do you have in the between time? You have hope. You go like, unless your mom is in the habit of lying to you, there really is cake 15 minutes in your future. That's what Peter means. There is a real, literal thing in your future, and you don't have it yet, but you know for sure you're going to have it. Right now you have hope. It's not like, oh, wouldn't it be great if there really was? And when you open the door to the house and you smell the, the rich chocolate smell, you know, it's just like that much more affirmation. And what Peter's saying is, this is not something that maybe it'll happen. I'm telling you, I already smelled the chocolate cake. I saw Jesus alive. There is, there's a hope. And here's the other problem that we have when he talks about hope. We think of hope as like this pretty word. It's poetic. It's figurative. It, and Peter was like, no, this is a certainty. This, there's a real thing in your future. And um, what he even describes it as is he says it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance before. When when you think about it, or if you did get it, is an inheritance a piece of paper with gold letters on it just says, here's your inheritance. Oh, this is great. I'm going to frame this and hang on. I hope that's not your inheritance. When you get an inheritance, don't you get like your grandpa's gun collection? You get your uncle's tools. 
You get all your grandma's china that you just always loved, and it's a memory of her. Maybe you get some money. Isn't, an inheritance is a real thing, right? It's not a pretty word. Peter's talking about a real thing that you and I inherit. It's not just some plaque on the wall. It's not some fuzzy feeling you get every time you come to church. He's talking about the fact that Jesus raised from the dead into a real physical body is an indicator of what our inheritance is. And Peter actually preached about this. This is a sermon, another sermon he preached. It's in Acts chapter 3, verse 21. He said to the people he was talking to, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. I don't know that we think accurately about what's to come. A lot of people I talk to, and I'm not trying to step on your toes, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about this if you've thought this way, but when I talk to a lot of people, the furthest they go in thinking about what it means to be a Christian is I don't have to go to hell, and I get to go to heaven, the all-inclusive buffet, when I die. And that's not at all what God is offering. I mean, heaven is great, but that's not the end of the story. You realize that when Jesus died, rose again, ascended to heaven, he's coming back, right? What's he coming back to do? If we're already in heaven, why does it matter? Peter said there's a whole lot more to this story than just we die and go to heaven. God is actually in the process of restoring everything about the world to the way it should be. Fixing everything, fixing us. We get to be back here in real physical bodies in a physical place. If that's not part of your calculation about your future, you need to read the Bible and see that it's actually there. These aren't pretty words. Your inheritance is a real thing in your future. Do you have it yet? No. Is God in the habit of lying? No. So when he tells you your hope is a real thing, like think about Jesus. When he rose from the dead, was he a ghost? Did he float across the ground like three inches off? the? F- no. He, uh, at one point... I don't know if you've read this or not. He built a campfire on the side of a lake. He was cooking his own breakfast, and the disciples had been fishing all night, so we invited him to come over, and he invited them to bring some of the fish that they'd caught, and he fixed them breakfast. Does a ghost cook breakfast for you? He was in another room in a house with some people, and he ate fish and bread with them. Does a ghost do that? Uh, he offered people to touch his hands and his, put a hand in his side where he'd been crucified and where he'd been stabbed real physical body. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was a real person. That's the hope that we have. Now, here's the thing, and I'm not, again, not trying to be disparaging of anyone, but I understand why some people would say, yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago, and how do we know that they didn't just make that up? Why didn't Peter and some of the other guys just say, I know a way we can keep Jesus' memory alive, and we can keep Jesus alive in our hearts? And, or maybe some people would say, well, they were pretty unsophisticated 2,000 years ago. Maybe they just really just thought Jesus raised from the dead because they wanted it to be true. I'll tell you this. We want to be careful that we don't get too cynical, that we miss something that's actually true that God's doing in the world. We also don't want to be guilty of something C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery to assume that somehow we're smarter just because we're further along in history, that 2,000 years ago people were just dumb Think about what was going on in the world 2,000 years ago. History lesson's almost over, but have you heard of the Greco-Roman culture? You know some of the things that they gave us that we still appreciate today? Things like libraries, architecture, democracy, the Olympics, standardized medicine, the alphabet, lighthouses. That came from 2,000 years ago. They weren't dumb people. What have we given the world today? The music of Cardi B? Right? It wasn't me. They were smart. They knew that dead people stay dead. 
which made it all the more extraordinary when they saw a guy they knew for sure had been dead and buried, and he'd been dead for three days, walking around in full health in a real body, telling you, look, not even the grave can hold God down, and your future can be so much different than your past if you'll just trust this guy who was dead on Friday in a tomb on Saturday, walking around as alive as you and me on Sunday. I don't know, maybe you uh, are coming to a point in your life, you're a teenager, and you're like, man, I really thought it was going to be better than this. It'll get better, trust me. But maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Stop me when I get to yours, 70s. And you're just like, you know, I really thought it would be better than this. And I'm honestly kind of disappointed. Here's the hard one. You've gotten to a point where you have accomplished everything that you set out to accomplish in your life, and you still realize it's, it's not quite what I thought it would be now that I've done it all. What do you do with that? And maybe you just said, I had so much hope, and now I've just got a lot of cynicism. And I did this, and I pursued that, and I tried this, and I'm just finding that it's leaving me empty inside and hollow, and I just don't know what to do with that. And I'm telling you, if you will trust Jesus, he can transform everything about your existence. There may be things in your past that you deeply regret, that you can't change, but he can redeem that. And there may be things in your present world that you just don't know what to do with. He can help you with that. And I'm telling you the truth, he can transform your future as well. There's a lot of things in life that get overrated. Uh, maybe this is an unpopular opinion. Game of Thrones, overrated. Sorry, I'll just go ahead and offend the other half of you. Easter peeps, completely overrated. <laughs> in a world where Reese's peanut butter eggs exist, why would you ever put a peep in your mouth? I don't understand. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things that get overrated. Sports teams can get overrated, movies, whatever, you know, candy. I'm telling you, one thing that's never been overrated and never will be is hope. And, and Jesus, who died on Friday and was alive again on Sunday, can give that to you. He can completely transform your life. And there's, I, this is what I find so fascinating. It, it even transformed the Bible. If you take the New Testament of the Bible and look for the word hope, you're only going to find it like one, two, three times before Jesus rose from the dead. And then there's an explosion. It's almost a hundred times where you see hope talked about after Jesus rose from the dead. And the same thing that happened then for Peter and happened here and it can happen in your world right now. And I'm telling you, there's a real promise of something great and it starts with your resurrection. That's why the Apostle Paul promised all of us who follow Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 6.14. God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. That's a true statement. That's as true as anything that you can put your hope in. And that's why I have put my trust in Jesus. That's why I look around, I see so many Connection Christians who have put your trust in Jesus. That's why I, without any hesitation at all, invite you, if you have not, put your trust in Jesus. He will never fail you. And what he's telling you is true. And the one who died and was buried and rose from the dead can, can transform your life. But it's really up to you to decide what you're going to do with it. And I, I share this every Sunday. We're, we're here to connect people to God and each other through Jesus, but it's ultimately up to you to invite Jesus into your life. And uh, Easter 2019 will be an awesome day to do that. You could put a, a pin on the map. You could put a spot on the timeline and say, that was the time that everything changed for me. I'm going to pray for us and in just a moment, and I would invite you, if you need to do something about this, to start a conversation right now in the silence of this room as we sing and in your heart to just ask God what it is he wants you to do next. 